Well, I want to issue a special thank you to, to John and, and Diane for hosting me and and thank you to this church for inviting me to be a part of this discipleship workshop. I've had a wonderful weekend and enjoyed being with all of you. And my prayer, my prayer for this weekend has been twofold. Number one, that this would be a time of renewal and that in your heart and in your spirit and your mind that, that you would sense the presence of God and that there would be renewal as you, as you walk with the Lord. But number two, my prayer has been that your heart would be stirred, that you would feel a sense of calling, that God is calling you to be about His mission in the world. And so I hope that that has happened. I hope that happens this morning. And as we begin, let me lead us again in prayer. God, we're your people and we have gathered in your name. And we want to hear a message from your word. So Lord, renew us this morning and stir us so that we might be your faithful people walking with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we all say together, amen. I want you to imagine a 50-year-old man. This man has started to age quite a bit. As you look at him, you see streaks of gray on the sides and on the back and on top of his head. You look at his face and there's a lot of wrinkles on his forehead and down his cheeks and under his chin. You look at his eyes and you can tell that he's had a lot of sleepless nights over the past several years. He's a minister. He's a preacher. He's given the last several years of his life to the ministry of God, proclaiming his message. But God has led him to a place that he didn't want to go. He gave him messages to preach that he didn't want to give. He gave him an audience to preach to that didn't want to listen. It's been a hard ministry. He's had a few times where the people appreciated what he had to say, but for the most part, it's been a very difficult, difficult work. His wife passed away a few years back. The pain of that loss still lingers. He's had a few moments where he had popularity and where people wanted him to come preach to them, but for the most part, his ministry has been in obscurity. And now he's to the end. This is the story of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet called by God when he was 30 years of age to minister to the exiled Israelites, 10,000 of them who were living in Babylon in a refugee camp. They were asking a lot of questions of God at that time. Questions like, God, why are we in exile? Why are we here? Why aren't you defending us? Why don't you take care of your people back home in Jerusalem? What's going to happen in the future? What's going on? And Ezekiel's call was to walk alongside of these Israelite exiles and try to help them process through these questions and to understand what God was doing. And for the most part, a lot of what Ezekiel has to say, and if you read through the book of Ezekiel, you'll see this, that a lot of what he has to say is bad news. That unfortunately, he has to come to his countrymen and explain to them that the reason why we are where we are is because God is judging us. That we are sinners. That we are at fault. And God is bringing down judgment upon us. It was bad news. But now he's to the end of his ministry. 
Now he has one final sermon to preach. And this final sermon is a sermon of good news. One way to break down the book of Ezekiel is into its three major visions, three key visions. The number one, there's one major vision in chapters one through three, and this is where Ezekiel receives his call to become a prophet as he walked alongside the Kabar River. His second major vision is in chapters 8 through 11. And we talked about this vision yesterday where he gets to see a picture of the temple in Jerusalem to see what's really going on there. But the third major vision of the book is in chapters 40 to 48. And this is where Ezekiel gets to see a new temple, a new temple. Now, what's interesting about these three key visions is that all three of them have a lot in common. First of all, all three visions are dated. When Ezekiel records the visions, he tells us at what time in his life and ministry and at what time in Israel's history that he received this vision. Helps us know where that vision occurred. Number two, there is a word for vision in Hebrew, and that word is marot. I want you to say that with me. Marot. You learned Hebrew this morning. Aren't you proud of yourself? Now, yesterday, we learned another Hebrew word. I'm not going to tell you if you weren't there. You'll have to ask one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, and maybe they'll tell you. But you learned a Hebrew word today. That word marot is used four times in the book of Ezekiel. And all four of those occasions is connected to all three of these visions. It's a way to show us that these are the three major visions of the book. But the third way that these three visions are connected is that they all are about the glory and presence of God. And so this first vision that we talked a little bit about yesterday is a vision where Ezekiel was along the Kabar River, and he sees the glory of God come before him, and he sees this throne, and underneath the throne, remember what was there? Wheels intersecting wheels. And we mentioned that, that what that is teaching us is that God is a God on the move. He's a God who's not stationary. He's not a God tied to Jerusalem. He's a God on the move going to bring about his will. The second vision, the second major vision that we talked about yesterday is when he gets that VIP tour of the temple. And we noticed how he stops four different places, stops here and then goes into the inside room, then goes back to the inner courtyard, and then eventually comes to the steps. And in all four of those places, he sees that there's idolatry going on in the temple. In the place where people should be worshiping the glory of God, There are people worshiping idols and disrespecting God. And the final part of this vision is Ezekiel comes and he stands next to this east gate right here. And he watches as the glory of God becomes on the move. The wheels start turning and the glory of God moves out of the temple. It had to have been the most horrible thing that Ezekiel ever experienced in his ministry when he watched as God left his people, as God turned his back on his people because of their rebellion, and he had to declare that message to the exiles. But then we come to this third vision. And this third vision, in many ways, is a gift that I believe God gave Ezekiel. Maybe even a reward 
telling Ezekiel, you've done well in your hard ministry. And so I want to give you one more sermon to go back to the exiles to preach. I want you to, want you to give one more message, and I'm going to give you a vision for that message, and it's going to be full of good news. This vision begins in chapter 40, when Ezekiel goes up on a high mountain. And immediately we learn that this is going to be something really important because it reminds us of Moses when he went up on a high mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And so Ezekiel, just like Moses, is going up on a high mountain to receive a revelation from God. And when he's on top of this mountain, he is met by this figure, a human figure, who is dressed in bronze. And he's carrying a measuring stick. And what this human figure is going to do is going to lead Ezekiel through a new and restored temple. He has a measuring stick because he's going to measure out all the specifications of the temple. And if you read chapters 40 to 43 or so, you see all the specifications of this new temple. And so here is, based on those specifications, here is a diagram of this new temple. Now, when I was teaching Ezekiel on Wednesday night at our church a while back, there was a guy in my class who was really handy and liked to build things. And when we were talking about this new temple and all the specifications of this new temple, he decided to build his own replica of this new temple. Now, if any of you ever do this, let me know because I will become your next best friend, okay? But here is a picture of this replica that this student at our church, he's actually one of our deacons, built. Now, if you can look at this replica, it's built exactly to scale according to the ramifications in Ezekiel 40 to 43. You'll notice that there are a few differences between this new temple that Ezekiel gets to see versus Solomon's temple that was built earlier in the Old Testament where the people worshiped God. There's basically three major differences I want you to notice. First of all, you'll notice that this temple is perfectly symmetrical. It's like a square. Solomon's temple was not like that. It wasn't a square. But this is perfectly symmetrical. The second thing that you'll notice is that this temple, and maybe you can't tell by the picture, but it is much, much bigger than Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple doesn't even stand a chance compared to this one. This is huge, a huge temple. But then number three, and this is the biggest difference of all. As Ezekiel gets this tour of this new temple, he notices there's nothing in it. It's completely empty. There's no Levites. There's no priests. There's no worshipers coming to offer sacrifice and to worship God. There's no assistants. There's no servants. There's no, nobody running around doing anything to assist the worship of God. And the last place that Ezekiel visits when he sees this new temple is the Holy of Holies. And normally in Solomon's temple, what was in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant. But when he gets to the Holy of Holies place in this new temple, he finds out there's nothing there. That this temple is an empty building. It's an empty building because God has left his people. His glory has gone and he's not around. Now, if you were to ask me, Steve, what was the number one question that the exiles were asking that Ezekiel was ministering to, I would say that the number one question, they had a lot of questions, but the number one question was this one right here. 
Where is God? We're in Babylon living as refugees. Where's God? We had to leave our homeland because God didn't protect us. Where is God? Jerusalem just got destroyed and the temple was burned. Where is God? The king that we had, who's in the line of David, just got arrested and is a prisoner of war. Where is God? That's what the exiles were asking. And as Jerusalem fell, they started to realize the reason why we are in exile is because God has left us. And I mentioned this last, last yesterday, that we need to understand when we talk about this word exile, it doesn't simply mean that the group, a group of Israelites had to relocate and they had to change their address from Jerusalem to now Babylon. It was so much more than that. It was divine abandonment. It was God turning his face away. It was God retracting his presence. Saying, I'm not going to be with you anymore. And when the Israelite exiles realized that truth, the number one question on their heart was, God, where are you? We need you. Please come back. Where are you? And there are times in our lives, church, where we ask this question too. Sometimes we ask this question because we have wandered away from God. We've developed a rebellious spirit. We've done some mistakes. We've committed sins. We've gone the wrong path. And then we realize that. And we say, God, where are you? Because I need you. I think about a lady who came to our church through our prison ministry or jail ministry. And I asked her one time, I said, how did you come to know the Lord? And she said, well, when I was at my lowest point with all the issues in my life and all that I was struggling, and she said I was to the point of even committing suicide. When I was at my lowest point, I went into my bathroom and I got down on the floor and I prayed to God and I said, God, if you are more than the Easter bunny or Santa Claus, I need you now. And she said she got up from that prayer and she walked outside and she got arrested. thought God's got a sense of humor, you know. But then once she was in jail, she joined up a Bible study that was led by one of the ladies from our church. She learned about God and eventually became a Christian. But sometimes we're like that lady where we realize that because of mistakes that we have made and choices that we have made, we have wandered away from God and we find ourselves in the pit, in the valley, and we're asking this question, God, where are you? I need you. Where are you? But then sometimes we ask this question, not because we have made mistakes, not because we have a rebellious spirit. We ask this question because, well, I don't even know why. But sometimes we have moments in our spiritual walk where it just seems like God isn't there. Have you experienced that? And you pray and it just bounces back from the ceiling. And you serve and you have no joy and you sing songs of praise and worship, and there's just your heart's just not in it. Because it just feels like God is not there. And we wonder, God, where are you? And if you walk with the Lord long enough, over many different years and over many different situations, you're going to have a time in your life where it just seems like the presence of God has left. 
St. John of the Cross calls this the dark night of the soul. The psalmists write about this. Jesus describes this. When on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. There are times in our life where it just seems like God is not there, and we ask, where are you, God? Because I need you. And whenever we're asking this question, and whenever the exiles were asking this question, our heart beats, and our heart yearns, and our heart hopes for one simple answer, that God will come to us and be with us. This is what Moses desired in Exodus chapters 32 to 34 when the people of Israel committed that great sin of worshiping the golden calf just after God said, don't make any graven images. And God tells Moses, I want you to separate yourself from the people because I'm just gonna destroy them all. I'm upset with them. I'm just gonna destroy them all. I'll start over with you, Moses. And Moses steps in, mediates for the people in Exodus 32 and says, God, you can't do that. You made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can't go back on that promise. And besides, you saved us from Egypt. And what is the Egyptians gonna think? You saved a people and then you destroyed a people in the, in the wilderness. And in more, one of the more bizarre passages in scripture, it says that God changes his mind and decides he's not gonna destroy the people But then he says this to Moses. He says, Moses, I tell you what, I'm not going to destroy the Israelites, but here's what I'm going to do. I'll let you and the people go on up to Canaan, but I'm not going to go with you. And when Moses hears that, Moses responds to God and he says, God, if you don't go with us, then we don't want to go. Because Moses realized that there's one place in the world that he does not want to be, and that is without the presence of God. And yet we have times in life where it just feels like he's not there, and we wonder, God, will you come back? Can I sense your presence again, your joy again? That's where the exiles were. And then Ezekiel, in this vision... As he's being shown this new temple, as he's walking around the temple, seeing all the different parts, eventually this man dressed in bronze takes Ezekiel and brings him right over to this spot right here, the East Gate. Remember what happened at the East Gate in Solomon's temple? The earlier vision, the glory of God left the temple. And while Ezekiel is standing there at that east gate, he looks off in the distance and surely he sees coming the glory and presence of God and it's full of radiance and it starts coming closer and closer and closer and Ezekiel falls down on his face because he can't bear to see what's happening, but he sees the glory of God and eventually it brushes right past him and it fills this temple and the glory of God comes back to this place in the same way that the glory of God left the glory of God comes back, comes back, and it fills the temple. And then he hears this voice, which has to be the voice of God speaking to him. And I want you to notice what he said in verse seven. It says, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites 
forever. God declares to Ezekiel, here's the final sermon that I want you to preach. Here's the good news that I want you to share. I want you to go back to those exiles who are asking, where, I, where am I and where have I gone? I want you to go back to them and tell them, God's coming back. God's coming back. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't left us alone. He's coming back. And he's going to fill us up again with his presence and glory. Well, we start flipping pages of our Bible over into the New Testament because we wonder, well, when is this going to happen? When is God going to fulfill this promise to Ezekiel that he's going to come back and his glory is going to be with his people again? And we flip over into the New Testament and we learn the story about a little baby boy who was born to a young mother named Mary and a young father named Joseph. And as the gospel writers, the New Testament writers are describing this event of this baby being born, they say things like, we have seen his glory as of the one and only coming down from the father, full of grace and truth. The Hebrew writer says that he's the heir of all things, the radiance of God's glory. And when Matthew records this whole birth narrative, he tells about how an angel speaks to Mary and says, this baby, he is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you see what they were trying to tell us? What those gospel writers and other writers were telling us is that Ezekiel 43 is being fulfilled right before our very eyes. This prophecy that God is going to come back and the glory of God is going to fill his people. It's, it's happening. It's happening right now in Jesus. That Jesus Christ is the presence of God. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the place where God dwells. In him dwells the fullness of deity, according to Paul. That he's the fulfillment of this prophecy. Well, after Jesus died and then was raised, the church was established. And how does Paul describe the church? He describes the church as the body of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians that we are the temple of of the Holy Spirit. So who is this new temple? Where do I go to find this new temple? They never built this new temple because God never said to build it. Because when he was talking about this new temple and about the presence of God filling this temple, what was he talking about? He was talking about the coming of Jesus and Jesus filling the church. That's what he was talking about. He was talking about the community of Jesus being filled by his spirit and the glory of God dwelling among his people. And so the fulfillment of Ezekiel 43 is right here. It's right here. This is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. It's right here among the church of Jesus Christ, those who follow Christ, we get to experience the presence of God and the glory of God. We get to be a part of him and he gets to fill us. Isn't that good news? And maybe the best part about it is that last phrase, where I will live among the Israelites forever. God's not going anywhere, church. We might, we might move, we might wander away, but God's not going anywhere. He did that. 
to his people in Israel. He's not doing that with us because through Jesus Christ and his spirit, he's gonna dwell with us and he's gonna fill us and he's gonna allow us to be a part of his new covenant. Praise God for that. And so church, if we believe that, if that really is true, then we have hope this morning. However you came in here this morning, you have hope. We have hope. Because if you're that person who's wandered far away from God and is rebellious and has a spirit that is moving away from the Lord and you've made some mistakes and committed sin and you've been asking that question, Lord, where are you? Because I need you. I know the answer to that question. It's found right here with Jesus and his people. That's where the presence of God is and you can experience that now. Or if you're that person who has that dark, is experiencing that dark night of the soul and life has just been hard and you're in the valley and it just feels as if God is not there. You have hope this morning because I know where the presence of God is. It's found in Jesus and it's found in his church. It's right here. And to a world that is full of darkness, to a world that has a lot of dark places, we have a message of hope to share, church, We can go to the lost. We can go to the struggling. We can go to the broken. And we can say, you might feel like you're very far away from God and that God would never love you or not God would never want you. But you can have hope. Why? Because I know where you can find the presence of God. It's found in Jesus and it's found in his church. And you can have that. And you can experience that. I had the privilege a couple weeks ago of baptizing an Iranian into Christ. This young man grew up in Iran back in the 70s. And because of the Iran-Contra crisis, his family tried to flee Iran. They wanted to come to the United States, but they couldn't get visas. And so they ended up going to France. He graduated high school in France. And while he was there, he started to explore Christianity. Eventually, through the work of the embassies, he, their, his family got two visas to come to the United States. Not enough for his whole family, but they got, they got two. And his parents told him, we want you to go. We want you to go. And so he came virtually by himself over to the United States. When he got over here, he went on to college, earned three college degrees, got a degree in French literature, got a degree in social work, and got a degree in teaching and decided what he wanted to do was to teach elementary school kids. And that's what he's been doing for the past 10 years or so. And it just so happens that the elementary school where he teaches children is less than a mile from our church building. And our church has gotten real involved in that school, and we mentor kids at that school, and we tutor kids at that school, and we've served the kids of that school, and he's seen that. And so one day he showed up at church on Sunday, And then he came the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. And through that process, he started to learn more about the Lord Jesus and about the Bible. And then eventually, he came to the conclusion that he needed to be baptized into Christ. And when I was talking with him about this decision, and I was asking him, you know, how has this all come about? He told me this, and I want you to hear this. He said, when I came to your church... I was welcomed, and I was made to feel at home, and people rallied around me, and I felt a presence there. 
I know what he was trying to say. He couldn't really articulate it, but I know what he was trying to say. That he came into our church and he found that the presence of God was there in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ dwells within the church or the body of Christ. He found the presence of God and he said, I want to be a part of that. I want that in my life. I want Jesus in my life. Church, we've got a wonderful message to share. We've got hope to offer to people in our community. And that is this, God has come back. His presence is here. Jesus has come and he can live in you. And so come join us as we follow him. And the question for each one of us is will we open our hearts up to this message of hope and let God fill us with his presence and with his glory by the power of his spirit? And so wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, we want to encourage you, come back because God is here and his arms are outstretched and he wants to welcome you in. And if you're ready to take the step of baptism, we would love to welcome you into God's family to have your sins washed away and have God's spirit placed inside of you. You'll be able to receive the presence of Christ because Christ is here. He's in this church. But let me just mention this one more thing. If you've been convicted this weekend and God's touched your heart and it's time for renewal, It's time to turn your heart back to the Lord. It's time to let God fill it up again because you've been asking that question, God, where are you? I need you. He's here. He's here right now. And he's ready to welcome you in. If there's any way that we can pray for you and encourage you, strengthen you, we want to do that now. Please come now as together we stand and sing.